what we're doing right now is we're about to get into a chat about public spaces in this city with Kurt Iverson right here on Down to Earth. Thanks for coming in, Kurt. Easy, Eddie. How's it going? Yeah, real good, real good. Um, Nathan from Camaray is helping this city out, obviously, by signing up to be yes. a supporter. Public spaces. We've got to think about our media spaces too. 100%. Community radio. And, yes. <laughs> and um, so this week, oh, sorry, Kurt. Let me give you a little intro. For those who don't know, Kurt Iverson is from the University of S Sydney School of Geosciences and Sydney Policy Lab. He joins us for Down to Work, Down to Earth. It's a fortnightly chat about how we can make our cities fairer and more sustainable. Hence mm -hmm. me saying thanks to Nathan, you're making this station fairer. Yep. So this week we're doing a bit of a post-election special. And you want to talk about public space. I do. And look, the Berejiklian Liberal National Government just got re-elected a couple of weeks ago here in New South Wales. But one of their promises was that they were going to establish a new ministry, a new ministerial portfolio. We're going to have a minister for public spaces. Um, and like, this is a bit of a big deal, right? Um, public space is just such a crucial part of city life. It's like for social life, economic life, political life, you name it. Um, and also for the environment. So um, I've been doing research about public space for years, so I just figured I'd <laughs> use the platform here to um, give the new minister, his name is Rob Stokes. He's also going to be the planning minister. He used to be the education minister. So now he's going to be the minister for public spaces. So Also for planning. Also for planning. Okay, interesting. So, yeah, yeah. So they're sort of situating it over in there, and I figured... I just give him some unsolicited advice about how to do his job this morning. Top 10 tips for the new Minister for Public Space. I would love to hear them. I just want to ask, if, is that a bit of, I mean, it, it does obviously make sense to be Minister for Planning, but also public space, but wouldn't one be more interested in one thing than the other? Yeah, look, I think it's, um, it's one of those things that it's partly about, this was a bit of an announcement that was trying to head off a lot of critiques that they were privatising too much public stuff, right? Um, and so even if you read the initial press release where they talked about why they were going to do it, they were saying that the job of this minister is going to be to identify and protect publicly owned land for use as parks and public spaces. So they're kind of, you can see already the way they're framing it mostly as a kind of planning thing. Um, but I guess, you know, you and I, as we'll get to talk about, would probably think about public space much more broadly than just like Green. You, like planning it or whatever, you know. Yeah. There's, there's a whole bunch of stuff going on here. It also seems that they are uh, framing public space as mainly just green land, green spaces. Yeah, yeah. And so I think the thing about... Rob Stokes getting this gig is that even though he's going to be busy and mostly focused on planning, I'm sure, and, and public space being a kind of, you know, the second in line for him, um, he actually does have an interest in city stuff. Like he actually has a planning degree, uh, a couple of them actually. And my sense is it's probably not a bad thing that out of all the people in this government that could have got this gig, it's gone to him because I think he probably does have a bit of a broader view than just, as you say, like parks and green space that... And we do have to think about public space much more deeply than that and think about all its different kinds and all its different forms. So we'll see how it goes. So have you got that list? I've got a list, baby. Let's yep. do it. Let's do it. So look, number one on my list is that this town right now is actually full of these privately owned public spaces. They even have an acronym in the 
academic literature. They're POPs, privately owned public spaces. Um, and these are the kind of like public spaces that when a developer gets extra height on their building in town, we might say to them, well, you can have an extra few stories if you provide some public space. It's the kind of stuff that we see at Barangaroo where they've given a whole development to a developer uh, and so they kind of run the public space there. Which they also promised more public space and then took it away. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Good work. <laughs> Land list. Yeah. Um, it's happening in the suburbs too. So whole master planned communities um, in the burbs um, where, again, the sort of communal areas and the public spaces are all run by the developer. So task number one for this Minister for Public Space is to actually map that stuff, find out where it is, make the data available for all of us to see. And then we've got to start thinking about stopping these folks putting all these crazy restrictions on how we use the public space. So even Barangaroo, just to give you one example that was in the news a lot long ago, there was a journalist from the Sydney Morning Herald who rocked up to the park at Barangaroo because Malcolm Turnbull was giving a talk in one of the function centres there. He wanted to hear the what Malcolm park. had to say. Yep. So he was hanging around um, in the open space above the car park and could actually hear a bit of the speech. And a couple of security guards rocked up and told him he couldn't do that. And he's like, why? It's public space. And they were like, well, because you can't. And then just tried to move him on. You go down to Barangaroo, there's like pages of rules on their websites about mm. what you can and can't do in these public spaces. So also, they shouldn't be able to do that. No, also Barangaroo was a site for fireworks watching during New Year's, which is an interesting idea around public space, the idea that those public spaces you now have to buy tickets to to stand on to watch the fireworks. All right. And so this is an excellent segue. Number two, Eddie, <laughs> you're absolutely right, um, which is stop the temporary enclosures. So this is happening more and more, right, um, that it's happening in New Year's Eve, but um, it's happening all across summer where... All these park authorities and local governments who are providing our public spaces are short of cash. And so they do deals with commercial operators to do cinema in the park or opera in the park. And they lock the thing up and charge money for people to enter. And suddenly giant chunks of our public spaces are behind fencing, not just for a couple of days at a time, but sometimes for weeks and even months. So enough of that. Let's fund public spaces properly so they don't actually have to rely on temporary commercial activities and putting up fences and charging money for people to access the spaces that they already own. Ah. <laughs> uh, what is uh, another one you've got on this list? All right. So um, we've talked about the privately owned public spaces. We've talked about the publicly but- owned ones that are private. But a third thing that we could be doing and that we've got great examples of here in Sydney is actually identifying strategically some private property that the state should be compulsorily buying back from the property owners to turn it back into public space. So one great example we've got here is what's happened over the last couple of decades at the foreshore at Glebe, where just slowly but surely the government's been acquiring all this harbour front land that used to be privately owned. And they've now got this amazing path that goes all the way from kind of the fish markets in Piermont down to Annandale, all the way along the foreshore, all publicly owned. You build it, they will come. It's like unbelievably well used. So strategic buybacks. I'm sure we would get some text to on 0499459945 about the contentious um, foreshore, which is around that area. Isn't it a bit of a question of whether it's going to be developed or not, including the fish markets? Yeah. So that whole area around the fish markets, as you say, that's still um, up in the air right now, what's going to happen down there. But um, I think, I could be wrong, but I think it's pretty well established now that they won't 
be able to lock down the the foreshore particularly, right? That that's just got to be public access. So, going back as well to the idea of locking up um, public land and mm-hmm. then privatizing off it. Uh, something that sprung to mind was the botanical gardens yep. next to the opera house. So they where they run the that cinema. Yep. Yep. And. I think it's an interesting shift in a mindset because that space was originally planned to be a car park and then we decided, no, we should have it as public land, but now it's going in reverse a little bit, do you think? Yeah, and so that's really a great example of that temporary enclosure stuff that we've got to start tackling, I think. And as you say, um, the people that run the Botanic Gardens and also Centennial Park and stuff, they're just... If you look at the funding that they've got from the state government to maintain those incredible public spaces, it's just been dropping and dropping and dropping over the last few years. So they're sort of saying, well, what's the harm in locking a bit of it up and charging people, you know, 40 bucks a ticket to go and see a show or 20 bucks to go and see a movie? Um, So is there funding from the state government? Yeah, in those cases, yep. Okay. Um, And so, you know, if... Going back to the public spaces minister. Yep. Yep. So they don't actually have to rely on commercial events to maintain themselves all right kurt i reckon we go to a song a radio 94.5 fm you are tuned in right in the middle of down to earth with Mm -hmm. kurt iverson hello yep we're having an uh, if i ruled the world segment (laughs) absolutely (laughs) uh we are talking about public spaces in sydney and kurt iverson is a professor at sydney university in the geoscience department and you this is your area this is my thing (laughs) this is my total i love this stuff um so so, yeah public space you've got we're listing off some um things that can help our city with public spaces what needs to be changed what shouldn't be happening what we should do what else is on that list so more advice for this new minister of public spaces um while we're Tearing down the fences for commercial events in places like Botanic Gardens, we should be ripping down the gates and the fences around schools and parks all over this town. We it's crazy how much of our public space is locked up. We do have a message. Jasmine from Ingleburn has said, hi, if they lock up public spaces, it's not a public space anymore. It's commercial. This has to be addressed by parliament, I think. Thanks for texting in, Jasmine. And what do you mean by ripping down fences of schools? All right. Well, here's the thing. So in the last decade or so in New South Wales, we have put spear-topped two and a bit metre fences around over 600 public schools. Um, Now, if you think about a public school, for somewhere between a third and a half of the year, it's not in use, right? Um, And they often have playgrounds and parks. And until they were all surrounded by two and a half metre spear top fences, the local people would go and play in those. So even uh, where I live, down near Canterbury, school used to be open before my kids started going to it. They used to go and play in the playground. So they actually felt super comfortable by the time they started school because they knew the area. Uh, Doesn't happen anymore because the damn things had a fence put around it. So the new Minister for Public Space actually had a trial over the last couple of years of cracking open a few schools during the summer holidays to see whether they would all be torched down by vandals (laughs) or whether it'd be fine. As far as I know, it was fine. So let's have a bit more of that 
open mm. up those public spaces. So you don't even need to take down all the fences for, sa- for safety of the younger kids during the term, just open the gates. Yeah, just open the gates, open the parks. Um, and again, if we're just trying to find easy, quick wins where we could actually increase the amount of public space that people have across the city, there are public schools all over the place. Let's use it. It is a, yeah, it is a nice mindset to have. I think um, Leichhardt High School does that. They share their oval with the public. Yeah. It's fenced up, but it's also for the public. Yeah, yeah. Um, what else have you got on that list? What else? All right. So the next two um, is just about like just some really basic stuff about maintaining public spaces. Um, like what we know is that when footpaths aren't looked after, when they're not wide enough and when they're not looked after, then people who are pushing prams or people who've got mobility issues or particularly old people um, – for whom like one of the major, major, major health risks that they face is falling over uh, and doing some damage. We've got to look after our footpaths. And the thing about that in a place like Sydney is that that's local government's job. But all these local governments have such incredibly different amounts of money to spend on that stuff. So you can be in some really wealthy councils where the footpaths are like gold-plated and totally schmick, and then you can go to other parts of Sydney where there aren't footpaths or where if there are, they've got tree roots popping up through them and they're really narrow and cars are parking all over them. So I reckon the state government needs to do a little bit more to actually support local governments to look after the footpaths. And while they're at it, they could build in a few more benches for people to have arrests in and uh, some public toilets, which would make a huge difference to people being actually able to go out in the world. Um, and not be scared that they're going to be caught. And also not then have to go into a commercial space mm-hmm. to use a, a, a toilet. Yep, not have to drop money and buy a bloody cheeseburger um, in order to be able to use somebody else's facilities. That's right. So some really basic infrastructure stuff that is just really uneven across Sydney. And I think, again, it's probably a role for this new minister to step in and see what they can do about that. And while we're here talking about footpaths... Yep. What do you think about more pedestrian space on uh, roads? What do you think about what they're doing in the city? Yeah. Well, look, I think I was just talking in one of my classes uh, with some students about this yesterday, but one of the things that they're experimenting with in parts of Europe that is kind of working um, is this idea of the sort of shared streets, right? Um, so it's really a kind of second half of the 20th century thing that we would just tell pedestrians it's an offence for you to jaywalk and we would set aside all this space just for cars. Uh, so there are parts of Europe where they're experimenting with this thing called living streets or they call them woodhoofs in um, the Netherlands where it's just literally flatten the whole thing so it's just one surface, rip out all the signage and say to everybody, you're free to use this space, cars included. But what is happening, of course, is that most people aren't like murderous, terrible assholes. So if they're driving down a shared street where there are kids playing footy or where there are pedestrians walking around they'd like drive really slowly and mm. make sure they don't hit anybody. And it kind of actually improves pedestrian safety rather than decreases it. So let's experiment with some stuff like that. Yeah. What else have we got on that list? Um, so it's not just about the um, quantity of public space. We've talked a lot about, you know, ripping the fences down and all that sort of stuff. Also got to think about the quality. So we've been talking about the quality of the infrastructure, but also let's talk about policing in public space because that makes such a huge difference to heaps of people. Um, and the first thing that the New South Wales government needs to do is to just stop policing public spaces with sniffer dogs. Um, because um, it's not just festivals, right? But it's actually, especially around train stations and entertainment yeah. precincts where we see, you know, groups of 
there was um, a strip searching happening at Central Station a few weeks ago. Yeah. It's, and it's, it's madness. It is. It's just, and again, it's even happened um, when I've taken Sydney Uni students on field trips through the burbs. Um, we got sniffer-dogged, <laughs> the bunch of us, and just coincidentally, I'm sure, one of our students who was a person of colour was the person that got picked by the cops and ended up being strip-searched at a train station. While, while you're on a school excursion. Yeah, while we're on a uni excursion, all standing around going, what the hell are you guys doing? You know, blah, blah, blah. How long ago was this? So, uh, it was like, would have been two years ago now. And so here's what we know, right, which is that somewhere between 60 and 75% of all the positive identifications that sniffer dogs make result in, like, searches that show up nothing. So they're super dodgy. Um, They're used to intimidate, and they're particularly not neutral, right? You watch the way that the police often handle those dogs, and they're kind of guided towards certain groups and certain areas. So I have someone texting in saying, why did why do the police have to be at stations all the time? It makes me feel so uncomfortable. I don't feel safer. I've got some other messages on 0409-945-945. If you want to get into this conversation, text in. Jack in Annandale has, says, has said, golf courses take up so much of the green space in Sydney, particularly the east. Wouldn't it be great if these super exclusive spaces were required to be open to the public for at least some of the time considering the amount of resources and space they require and I also have someone saying yes yes and yes public space for the public right awesome text um so hey on the golf courses totally couldn't agree more like let's even do a little gender analysis of like who's using the golf courses uh, and how much space is being set aside for how many people to I do that I was actually um there's a water tower in the east that you can get onto. And I remember sitting up there not too long ago and looking out over the eastern suburbs and thinking, wow, look at all that green space. It's all Mm -hmm. golf courses. But then also had this moment of, I wonder if the people that had the interest in the golf course didn't have the interest, would that green space still be there? Yeah. So that's the worry, isn't it? Um, and I know there's, I'm pretty sure, I just caught something in the paper the other day that there's a golf course in Dulwich Hill that they're thinking of shrinking down from 18 to nine holes or something like that. And as you say, I think I haven't followed that one closely, but the question about whether we're going to turn the rest of it into a park or mm. whether we're going to turn it into Develop apartments, it. Yeah, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, so yeah. So it's good that those people have interest. However, more people should be yeah, allowed yeah. to use it. And so, hey, to the... Uh, your, your other text message that you read out, I'm totally on the same page as well about how we make people feel safe in public space, right? Because we know that, that if you don't feel safe in the space, then you're not going to use it. But as your texter suggested, sometimes having lots of police in uniform standing around actually doesn't make us feel safe. It makes us wonder why they're there and what the hell is going on and whether they're after us or whatever. So one of the suggestions I was going to have Another one. I don't know what number we're up to. I've totally lost track. But like, we could go on infinite. Yeah, we could go on infinitely. <laughs> but I think there's ways that you can make people feel safe by caring for the space rather than by like locking it down and securing it with police and surveillance cameras. So really simple things where people who aren't employed to be like safety and security people, but they're just kind of like uh, public characters. You know what I mean? They're just there in these places and they've got their eyes on it. So sometimes that might be about like shops staying open a bit later in, um, you know, shopping areas. It might be about keeping the ticket offices open at train stations and having guards on the trains. So there's just people around that, you know, if you do get into any hassles, there's someone that you can talk to or somebody who's actually caring for you, you know? Definitely. I think that was, um, that's 
been one of the discussions surrounding the closure of venues and early closing times. Mm. I know being a woman working in hospitality, cl- finishing at three and then having to yeah. walk through the through streets where nowhere is open, that doesn't make you feel safe. Yeah. More people makes you feel safe. Yeah, exactly. Like Jane Jacobs used to talk about it. This is American, you know, urban activist thinker from the 60s just talked about eyes on the street and she wasn't talking about like camera eyes she was talking about actual human eyes like just people caring for one another Mm. so yeah uh what else have we got things in the street i yeah i I think i peaked the list i saw a bit of (laughs) less advertising (laughs) oh yeah so all right it's another one that we could spend the whole 20 minutes talking about but yep um you know, we were talking about the parks sort of locking up areas and having these commercial events to raise money. Another thing that all these local governments are doing to try and raise money for looking after public space when they're running out of um, funding is that they're doing deals with advertising companies who are sticking like telephone booths that are good for nobody except they've got ad space on the back of them. They're sticking it's gorilla advertising, oh, yeah, man. Kurt. Right. <laughs> they've got like bus stops that are funded by advertising in my area the street signs are funded by advertising on some of the main roads they have ads all over them so also interesting the idea of this of the resources who gets them they're mm-hmm. getting power yeah yeah and it's kind of like that um as you say like we're all paying for it right eventually like advertising um isn't free we all pay for it all the time so it's a, sort of another form of taxation in a funny kind of way but when we come to talking about public space, it's just crowding everything else out. So all that guerrilla advertising that like every spare wall, these poster people are doing their deals with that used to be spaces where we might actually see like paste ups and stencils and now they're just ads. Um, the idea that we could be getting community messages on our bus stops and actual public information, uh, there's no space for that. We need ads. So I think ads are kind of a creeping thing. They're just like crowding out those spaces what for expression happened? and street art and cool stuff that... Actually, Even the notice board. Yeah. What happened to the notice board? I remember uh, my bus stop in uh, back in Miller's Point had yep. a nice notice board at at the at yeah. under the shelter. Exactly. So you know, there's so few of them left because your JC decos and your ad shells, they just want to ads, 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 um, and they rip down all the little hand done posters that people put up on the bus stops to communicate with their neighbours. They just get torn down with a quickness on most bus stops by the people who are installing the ads. So, blah. <laughs> I've got one more message. Someone on 0409-945-945 has said, I would much rather look at an 18-hole golf course than a 9-hole course and 9-plus apartment blocks as the fat cats who own the course won't give their land up for free. Or maybe we need... Fat cats. <laughs> <laughs> we need to... Um, open the conversation around that. I think there's a mm. golf course being proposed for Marrickville. Right. And also thank you to that lovely supporter that just signed up. Phoenix, Phoenix, you are amazing. Um, text in over at 9945945. You are also in the running for some great prizes. I'll do all of this after we wrap. Sorry, Kurt, to drag yeah. you into that. <laughs> it's all good. But Kurt is a part of the station as well. Kurt is a part of something that FBI does. We bring in great people to talk about things that are happening in this city. That's what we care about. That's what you care about. And that's why we're having this chat right now. Exactly right. Exactly right. All right. Let's let's wrap it. What's, wrap it. What's, what's one thing we can do? All right. Well, like, um, I think 
if you've been texting us with your ideas, you should completely text Rob Stokes. Um, I think we need to start actually making them take this commitment seriously. Um, so we've busted out a bunch of ideas for it here today. Um, and some of them, just to give a, a little shout out, um, there's a bunch of us at Sydney Uni that uh, did this little book last year called Sydney We Need to Talk. You can go to sydneyweneedtotalk.com and download it for free. It's got a whole bunch of like essays by different people writing about all this different stuff going on in public spaces. You should check it out. I have something that you can do. For go ahead. Um, yes. <laughs> well, it only is in the city of Sydney uh, mm-hmm. Council. However, they are doing uh, their 2050 planning. They did 2030 and now they're doing 2050. And there's a survey on their website, cityofsydney.com. All right. That's the one. People should check it out. Check out that survey, submit some of these ideas. Yeah. And especially because that, you know, that city of Sydney government, um, that local government area is like for all of us, right? There's people that live in the area, but heaps of us that come into it who don't live in it, but we should still have a stake and have a say. So, yeah. Exactly. All right. Thank you so much, Kurt. Easy, Eddie. Thanks for having me.